you this morning. I'm Victoria, so I'm married to Tim and pastor of the church with him. And um, yeah, it's lovely to be preaching this morning. And he's given me a doozy of a passage to preach on, which will be great. I'm going to go for a ride. And I gave it to me and I was like, oh, what a doozy. And I was like, actually, God's really been speaking to me about this passage for some time, so it's actually good. But if you've been here or you're perhaps visiting this morning, you'll know or find out today that we've been doing a series in the Sermon on the Mount, and I've got the honour of preaching the second last message in this series. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. I have loved just going through the sermon bit by bit, and I feel like I've got so much out of it. But it's really been about knowing what Jesus taught in order that we might fully be his disciples. And last week, we looked at Jesus' warning um, that the life of following Jesus is described as a narrow path that actually leads to life. And today, we're going to look at this passage, Matthew 7, 15-23. And once again, we find truth-telling Jesus, giving it to us straight. So Luke, why don't you come up? He's just going to save my voice for me a bit this morning and read us the passage. All right. Matthew 7, 15-23. Oh, sorry. I'll just give you this little... Even though right. you're I'm going to project. Yeah. Do, I'm going to this. Over. Right. do this. Go. All right. Matthew 7, 15 to 23. Um, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. And a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never need you. Away from me, you evil do us. Well, it's a good one. It's a good passage. Alright. What I really want to encourage us today, you can jump to the next slide, is I'm really going to address three things from this passage. But they're all related to bearing good fruit and doing the will of God in our lives so that we can live as truth-filled, authentic disciples of Jesus. First thing I'm going to unpack is what is good prophecy and what is false prophecy, because um, that's kind of my jam, I like talking about that. And number two, we're going to look at the true marker of prophecy and discipleship is love. And then I'll unpack, well, we want to be the kind of Christians that produce good fruit. What does that actually really look like in our lives? So, first, what is good prophecy and what is false prophecy? Um, I'm going to tell you a story, first of all. You know, I was in ministry school, gosh, over 10 years ago, I don't know, it was a while ago, and I was really coming into a season, I grew up in a church where no one ever talked about the gift of prophecy, I didn't know it existed, and then I went to ministry school and really learnt about it, I did a whole week on hearing God's voice, a whole week on what is prophecy and how is it used to spread the love of God and build his truth into this world, so I was really coming alive and understanding the prophetic gift understanding how God had used it in my life and I hadn't realised and how he wanted to use it through my life. But I had this weird thing where, for a week, I kept waking up at 5.30am. And if you knew me before 
four kids, I don't wake up for anything. I sleep through the night. I don't like, I'm not a morning person. Ask my mom, I'm not a morning person. I wake up and I look at the clock and it's not, I'm not talking 5.29, 5.32. It was 5.30 on the clock. Every time I'd roll over and look at it, I would be like, why am I awake? And I was telling a friend, I was like, it's so weird. I keep waking up and the clock is always at 5.30. And she said, oh, you know what? You should really pray about that. Because I had a friend and God would wake her up at certain times and they would lead her to certain scriptures in the Bible. I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, well, oh, give it a whirl. So I, I said, God, if this is you, I just pray, wake me up at 5.30 again tomorrow morning and speak to me. What are you trying to say? So lo and behold, this story might sound weird, but lo and behold, I wake up at 5.30 the next morning and I'm really drowsy and I'm like, God, what are you saying? Is it you that's waking me up? And so distinctively, I hear him say, turn to Jeremiah 5.30 in the Bible. So I'm like, okay. Turn to Jeremiah 5.30. And it says this. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. And the priests rule on their own authority. And my people love it so. But what will you do at the end of it? And I was like, whoa. And that question just struck me. It felt like the Lord saying, you know, this gift is being awakened in your life. You're learning all about it. But what will you do with it? Will you keep it true to my heart and my desires, or will you be swayed and bent by the idols of this world and by the desires of men when you're asked to use this gift? And it's something, I think, like a bit of a life verse that I take with me that I'm always struck by. That it's this call of God to really keep the gifts of God pure and free from the idols and fleshly things of this world and unto his glory in all ways. So, you know, I want to say this about... Um, we see this from this verse, you know, God really despises when people speak on his behalf and it's not so. He's looking for people to carry this gift of prophecy, to be fully yielded to him, not swayed by the things of this world, but fully surrendered to his voice and his voice alone. Um, so I cannot preach this passage this morning and not be totally honest and say that I've been really saddened in the way that I've seen the prophetic gifting in the body of Christ, especially in the past few years, being used in some ways as a tool for power or as a tool for a political agenda or just getting misused in certain ways. Um, does God care about our politics? Yes, absolutely. Does he use men and women in that arena? Yes, absolutely. Um, just like he uses them in all marketplace arenas. But we need to always remember as Christians that we already have a king who sits upon a throne and our allegiance is to him alone. And that is what unifies us as a church. Revelation 19.10 says, Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. All good prophecy should draw us into an encounter with Jesus Christ. That is what it is designed for. And I, I mean, a lot of you know I'm not, I don't really care much for politics and I don't care what side of the political fence anyone sits on. This morning's not about that. So forgive me for bringing up politics, but I usually avoid it. But it's just, I think this is an arena where we've seen a misuse of this gift, right? We've used, seen it used to stoke fleshly desires to bend to tell people what they want to hear, to bring endorsements 
and to use it as a political instrument of division instead of a Jesus-endorsing kingdom of God trumpet it was designed for. Does that make sense? Good prophecy unites the church. Good prophecy bears good fruit for the kingdom of God and always draws us back to the heart of Jesus Christ. And it can be used beautifully within any arena, but we have to always be willing to search the motivations of our hearts, especially if we're speaking on behalf of God. So that's my little rant. Oh no, I don't know more. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus came not to establish, we have to be clear about this, Jesus came not to establish an earthly government, but rather a church. He came to build a church to accomplish the plans and purposes of God. And that is why the Sermon on the Mount shows us what citizens of kingdom of heaven look like, how they live, and how they love. We have the manuscript right there. And it won't be done or accomplished necessarily through even the institution of the church, but through disciples, through you and me, through ordinary people with an extraordinary God. Are doing incredible things, empowered by His Spirit to bring heaven on earth. So I just want to say, especially in the context of this scripture, in the context of what we've all been through in the past few years, that we need to be wary to not be looking to the leaders of this world to be our saviour. We have one. Rejoice in God, we have one. We need the church all around the world to wake up to the reality that the kingdom of heaven resides in you resides in you and you are called to release it right now whatever your sphere of influence is and i tell you what if every christian did that if every christian really did that we would see radical change radical change in our world it's like millions of pieces of little fruit that make up a banquet big enough to nourish this world come on so i want to encourage you church I want to encourage you that we already have everything we need found and established in the person of Jesus Christ, the greatest love of all to save this world. But what we need to know, and I guess what Jesus wants to warn us when it comes to false prophets, is one of the things that we see is they tend to sow disunity among the sheep, and they tend to steer our gaze to idols instead of staying firmly set upon our Saviour. Does that make sense? So I, I'm going to start with myself. I needed to repent recently because part of my issue these past few years was I was actually so grieved and saddened by the ways in which I saw prophecy being misused that I shied away from the gifting. I kind of withdrew from it. And I probably therefore didn't speak up at times when I should have. Jeremiah 5.30, but what will you do at the end of it? Oh, this passage haunts me. Um, <laughs> But at the start of last year, part of this journey was I felt a real conviction from the Holy Spirit that I had had so much poured into my life. I had amazing prophetic mentors. I got to sit under an amazing woman who's been tried and tested for a year, for a year and travel with her around the world and learn from her. Um, I'd had incredible sound, safe teaching around prophecy sown into my life, but I was convicted by the Spirit. Who am I passing it on to? Who am I passing on to? Who was I feeding with what God had given me? You know, hanging fruit is of no use if it's left on the tree. And that goes for all the gifts that God gives us. Hanging fruit is no use if it's left just hanging on the tree. It needs to be given away. 
It needs to be given away. So, what was I doing with this? What was I doing with this gift I'd been given and the stuff poured into me? How could I possibly sit judging others on how it was going so wrong without doing anything to help make it right? We're very good at that sometimes, aren't we? <laughs> you know? After all, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. It's something, church, we should eagerly desire. So from this conviction, that's why we started the Prophetic Hub on Wednesday nights, once a month, to play our part in creating a safe environment where we could nurture this gifting and see it flourish in a really sound biblical framework. You might not know this, but our church had a prophetic word a few years ago about we would have an eagle's nest built where we would raise up our people to hear from God and raise up prophetic voices to be released and trained. So we're doing our part in that part of our calling. Okay, so secondly, I really want to encourage us to remember that love, love, let me shift gears here, love is the goal of prophecy and discipleship. My motivation is, and I pray it will always be, the love of God. And, and like, that would motivate me in all the things I do in ministry. Um, love, I believe, is the marker of true prophetic ministry. It's a release of God's love. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. This is so important. Like it all counts for nothing if we don't have love at the center of all that we're doing as our motivation. His love in the prophetic longs to call us into our destinies in Him. His love longs for Christian communities to be unified around the purposes of His kingdom called out by prophetic voices. Even when He brings correction through the prophetic, and believe me, He's disciplined me a few times, it's drenched in His love. Like even when God corrects me, it's so full of His love that it's a joy to be corrected by him and put back on the right path. It's like that of a father trying to guide his children. So however I can be used for his glorious purposes and the advancement of the kingdom I'm in, but I've learned something from my many, my 40, let's say 40 years, many years. <laughs> I just heard 40, so I'm not that. But the God moves most effectively through relationship. He moves most effectively through relationship. Our relationship with Him and our relationship with each other. And that is why church community is so important. It's so important to be part of a church community and plugged into connections and relationships. And God is alive in the midst of us loving one another well. It's like this extraordinary miracle we get to be a part of. And so to understand this passage, I think it's vital to have also a quick understanding of the difference between the gift of prophecy and the calling of a prophet. Because they're two different things that we confuse sometimes. So let me just touch on quickly what prophecy is. Um, I'm not going to go into all the Greek and Hebrew for you nerds out there this morning. But let me just say, it is to see or perceive with spiritual eyes. It is to speak on behalf of another, and it comes from a bubbling up from within 
from the Spirit, this word Nabi that's used in the Scriptures. So whenever we prophesy, we're speaking on behalf of our Heavenly Father. We are speaking forth His heart and thoughts around, um, to those around us and His truth into situations. But one thing you can always test it with is it will always align with the Scriptures. It will always align with the Bible. If you remember just that from my sermon today, remember that. And it is always based in His love. Otherwise, it's a resounding gong, it's a clanging symbol. If you want to move in this gifting, then first and foremost, can I just say, cultivate your love relationship with God. You can't speak for someone you don't know intimately. I can't tell you what Tim thinks about something unless I know him intimately and I know what he thinks about that situation unless I've talked to him about it. So intimacy with God is key. Protecting it, cultivating it, allowing him to first speak into your life on a personal and private level. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us, prophecy is not just a gift that should be eagerly desired, but it also tells us what it's for. It's for edification, exaltation, and consolation, which is that comfort. Jeremiah 1.9.10 also tells us about what is good about this gift. It says, The Lord stretched out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth and said to him, Behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. What does that mean? True prophetic ministry tears down the works of the enemy and builds up the bride of Christ. True prophetic ministry uproots the lies and plants the truth. It's the word of God to accomplish his purposes and all of that is about his love and relationship with this world. So, what's that difference between the gift of prophecy and the calling of a prophet? Well, 1 Corinthians 14, 5 says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues but I would rather have you prophesy. Every one of you, so good. Anyone can learn to discern God's voice. Anyone can, and to move in the gifting of the prophetic. But that doesn't mean we're all prophets. And some people are like, <laughs> I think some people avoid this gift because they're like, well, I don't want to be a prophet. But it's like, you can operate in this gift, you can hear his voice, you can hear his heartbeat for someone else. Being a prophet is a different thing. And let me just tell you why. Ephesians 4, 11-13 says that certain people are called to be prophets by the Lord. And the main difference is really simple, church. Being able to prophesy is that prophets are called to equip. They're called to equip the church with eyes to see and ears to hear. Being a prophet is a calling to minister. A prophecy is a gift that we can all minister in. Does that make sense? So if you're called to be a prophet, you're supposed to be helping the church hear God's voice. You're supposed to be telling them how it's done. You're supposed to be equipping the bride to know him more intimately in that way. Yeah? Okay. Hopefully that makes sense. I feel like I've got some blank faces. We're all good? <laughs> so it's important, I think. I unpacked that. That's like my two-minute unpacking on prophecy. If you want to know more, come and talk to me. But I think it's important. You've got to know what it is to be able to discern what it is not. Okay, and what this passage is warning us about. So back to the passage. And I've got up there. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Tim said something really important last week. He said we should always use scripture to interpret scripture where possible. And there's a whole passage 
Yeah, amen. There's a whole passage in 2 Peter that actually describes what a false prophet is like. And I think some of the times we get this really wrong, but there's a passage that tells us what they're like. So feel free if you have a Bible to turn there, but I'm going to just summarize it for you because it's a long passage. Here are some of the red flags to look for in false prophets. They are secretive. They introduce destructive heresy. In other words, their prophecies are out of alignment with the Bible. It says they cause the way of truth to become malaligned in verse 3. It describes them as eventually perhaps even denying Jesus as the Messiah. And there's this word there for sensuality in the Greek, which translates to a definition of unbridled lust or rude or disrespectful behavior. They are greedy. They indulge the flesh and its corrupt desires. They often despise authority. They speak out of arrogant words and entice fleshly desires. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. And how, what a cracker verse this is. It says, for by what a man is overcome, he is enslaved. What a great verse. What a list. Holy dooly. I read that, I was like, whoa, so intense. <laughs> but you know what? Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruits. This list, when you look at it, is so much more about character. Is it not? It's so much more about character. And one thing I've learned and I've seen in my years of ministry is you can have a gift but not have the character to carry it. And that's where false prophecy can go wrong. Whatever gifts you've got, can I encourage you to spend the time with God to work on your character more than anything. Chase the gifts, go after them, but don't do it in a lack of character in the same regard. Chase good character in God because then you'll have the capacity to carry the gifts he's asked you to carry. Right. So there is so much more to being a false prophet, can I say, than simply making a mistake with a word from God. I feel like sometimes people get a prophetic word and people are like, false prophet, that's a false prophet. <laughs> it's actually a character issue that makes a false prophet. It's a condition of the heart. It's wrongful motivations. It's deliberate deception. Hidden in sheep's clothing, but inwardly ravenous wolves. And there's been a number of prophetic voices in this past years who've actually owned their mistakes. And I take my hat off to them. Um, they actually repented when they got things wrong and then they stayed accountable for the sake of God's reputation and the reputation of the church. And I would not say they're false prophets. I just say they've got a mistake, they discerned something wrong, but then they made it right. And to be honest, that's a display of character worth continuing to listen to. Because true prophetic ministry is motivated by love and always will be willing to repent when needed. So the Bible instructs us to weigh prophetic words. And I feel like that's why I can tell you that sometimes they'll get it wrong. Why would the Bible tell us to weigh it if we don't need that weighing to happen? Yeah, we are human. We're liable to error. But what we do with those mistakes matters. So... I had a prophet give me an incorrect word. I don't know how much to tell this story, but <laughs> I had a prophet give me an incorrect word. And it was a word that could really have changed the direction of my life. And I felt something off about it. I took it to mentors. I said, what do you think about this word? I had people pray for me, give me really sound advice. We put it for a season and nothing really happened. So I said, I'm letting that go. Two days later, 
this prophet calls me and she goes, I've been in the mountain with the Lord and the Holy Spirit's convicted me the word I gave you was wrong. And I was like, wow. But that's way important words. Take them to mentors. Test them. But good prophets, God will speak to as well and they will, they will repent when they need to. And that's healthy prophetic ministry. We need pruning at times. We need pruning so we can remain fruitful. And that can be uncomfortable. It can take measures of humbleness. And we need people in our lives to keep us accountable. So let me bring this home quickly today. Um, because we've looked at this difference between true and false prophecy and this motivation of love. But I want to end with talking about we want to be the kind of Christians that produce good fruit. Yeah? And that's the point of becoming a citizen of heaven. That's why we need to study the Sermon on the Mount and long to know the will of God to live it out in life-giving ways. So, quickly, let's look at these verses. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Fruit grows naturally, inwardly from the inward health of the plant, right? It grows from the inward health of the plant. Tim's been growing pumpkins in our backyard. And we went away and we came back and this pumpkin plant had taken over like the whole backyard. It was so healthy. And we have so many pumpkins. We have more pumpkins than we know what to do with. So I hope someone's up for a pumpkin soup competition because Tim wants to challenge you. But as a result of this healthy plant, there's an abundance of fruit. But a sickly plant will bear no fruit. You ever had those plants that are just not bearing fruit, they're unwell, or the fruit's not worth eating? So whether it's prophecy or any other gift, the Spirit of God can be applied. Yeah? This measure can be applied. Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount is shifting gears from ethical teachings of the Kingdom by bringing His sermon into land and giving us a litmus test for authentic citizenship in the kingdom of heaven and the way we do ministry. One established in love, one that is marked by good fruit of the kingdom of God. But, can I say, he's also challenging us, not just giving us warnings about false prophets, he's challenging us to walk as true disciples and not false ones. He's challenging us, will we walk the broad road or the narrow one? Will we keep our Saviour Jesus and His love at the centre of our motivations or become enticed by the idols of this world? The fruit of our character is going to reveal the inward condition of our souls. What is the fruit? We read about it in Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. Like good pumpkins, Growing from a good, healthy plant, the Spirit of God living in us will produce good fruit in our lives. But notice, even this list of fruit is character virtues and attributes. That's the fruit we want to see in abundance in our lives. True faith in Jesus will change us up in such a way inwardly that this fruit will start to grow naturally. Everything produces after its kind and if we know that we are grafted into Jesus Christ, that spiritual fruit is going to start to be produced from our life, that tree of life in us. But I want to pose this question as I'm coming to a close. Is there, maybe we need to ask, are there any bad roots that we have intentionally or unintentionally 
grafted our life into that need to be uprooted this morning so that we can see some good fruit growing in our lives instead. Maybe there's something growing in your life that's not producing good fruit. You need to do some gardening in this house this morning. Jesus goes on in verse 21. Everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. At the end of this passage, and it's up there so you can read it, but he says, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That verse there breaks my heart. Just the thought of it, eh? He's after intimacy with you and relationship with you. It's not about reciting the right words, Lord, Lord, or reciting a religious vocabulary. It's a posture of our heart in response to God's love and his teaching. Words are not a substitute for obedience and neither are religious works. We are to hear God's words and actually live them out and do them. You know, we have his Holy Spirit within our hearts guiding us in what his will is. We have our Bibles telling us what his will is. Oh, so let me leave you with this. Above all things, nurture your relationship with God. Know what Jesus taught so that you might discern between good and false prophets. So that the true marker of your life and discipleship is not just a knowledge but experience and outpouring of God's love. And may we be the kind of Christians that produce good fruit in order to put on a display of the kingdom of God as a banquet that is truly nourishing to feed a starving world around us. Yeah? Amen? Amen. Let's stand.